With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Broadcasting live from an undisclosed location in the western foothills, you're listening to Open Ears, Maine. We want to hear your pandemic stories. To call in, dial area code 515-602-9747. That's 515-602-9747. The phone lines are now open. Folks, this is Riley, alias William Bendix. I'd like to talk to you about something very important to all of us. You know what traffic accidents are. They're something that happened to other people, but not to you. Your life is charmed. When you sit behind the wheel of your car, nothing can harm you. Nothing can touch you. It's impossible that you could be the victim of a traffic smash-up. Doesn't that sound a little ridiculous? Of course it does. But that's the thinking of the majority of America's drivers. And that's the thinking that causes traffic accidents. The truth of the matter is that unless you drive safely and lawfully, an accident can happen to you. Last year, it happened to 32,000 persons who died as a result. It happened to more than a million others. They were the lucky ones. They were only injured. In every single case, the National Safety Council reports that at least one traffic law was violated. So when you drive your car, remember that your only guarantee of safety is lawful driving. Obey the traffic regulations and drive carefully. The care you take may save a life, and that life may be your own. Welcome to episode 10 of Open Ears, Maine. It is another windy spring day here in Oxford County, but when the wind stops momentarily, it almost feels warm if you're standing in the sun. I'm your host, Crash Berry, editor-at-large for Mainer, the magazine and website at MainerNews.com. Have you listened to Devils and Dirtbags, my 13-part investigation of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Springfield, Massachusetts? If you're into true crime podcasts, you really should visit devilsanddirtbags.com or download the show wherever you download. On today's Open Ears, Maine, we speak to Steve Hewins of Hospitality, Maine, a nonprofit trade group representing the Maine hospitality industry. Today, Hospitality Maine published a, quote, open letter to Governor Janet Mills asking for the 14-day quarantine for visitors to be lifted so out-of-staters can visit Maine this summer. We'll find out what arrangements and precautions the industry intends to take if the governor agrees to the request. But first, the numbers. According to the State Center for Disease Control, there have been 1,477 cases of COVID-19 and 65 Mainers with the disease have died. 
Meanwhile, Governor Janet Mills is under fire from the Maine Dental Association for not yet allowing dentists to offer routine dental care. And like with any modern cause, there's an online petition sponsored by the Maine Dental Association called, quote, Reopen Dental Practices so Maine people have access to adequate, necessary, and timely care. Let's go back in time to the summer of 1902. Our destination is Islesboro, a 14-mile-long island in Penobscot Bay, just three miles offshore from Lincolnville. There's a village on the island's southern tip called Dark Harbor. It was a summer community, mostly for rich folks from away. They came from New York, Boston, and Philadelphia to spend their summer rusticating, island-style, with tennis and golf and sailing. One family that spent the summer in Dark Harbor in 1902 had the name Drayton. The man of the family was a rich lawyer named J. Coleman Drayton, who had married Charlotte Astor of the wealthy and prominent New York Astors. The couple had three children, whom they also brought down east, that summer of 1902, Carolyn, Henry, and William, and the whole family stayed in a rented cottage. I'm putting cottage in air quotes because it was probably a very nice house. I'm assuming it was a nice house because accompanying the family were five servants, including a cook, an Irish woman in her 30s named Mary Mallon. Soon after arriving to Dark Harbor, one of the Drayton's servants, referred to as a footman, took ill. A footman, by the way, is what the rich folks called the type of servant who usually wore uniform and performed chores around the rich people's house, answering the door, serving food, and always at the beck and call of his master. Soon, three other servants became very ill, and so did J. Coleman Drayton's wife, Charlotte, and then their three children became very ill and they all had the same symptoms. Bloating, constipation, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, fatigue, fever, chills, and the loss of appetite. Bedridden, they had headaches, muscle weakness, weight loss, and a rash with small white dots. For weeks, Drayton and his cook, Mary Mallon, nursed and cared for the Illing family and the servants, but no one knew why they were so sick. And eventually, after lots of pain and suffering, reportedly, all seven people recovered. And as a reward for her service in nursing the family, Drayton gave Mary Mallon a $50 bonus at the end of the summer before she departed the employ of the Drayton family. At the time, no one knew that the family and servants had been infected with a bacteria called Salmonella typhi, which is the source of typhoid fever. And, of course, they had no way of knowing that the family's cook would go on to become one of the most infamous women of the early 20th century medical annals. Perhaps you've already heard of Mary, but only knew her by her nickname, Typhoid Mary. Yep, that's right. In 1902, Mary Mallon, a.k.a. Typhoid Mary, 
brought typhoid fever to Islesboro, unknowingly, in fact. It wasn't until 1906 that it was discovered, after lots of detective work, that she was an asymptomatic human carrier of the painful and occasionally deadly disease. Eventually, public health officials figured out that typhoid Mary had spread the disease to other rich families down in New York and in Pennsylvania, and to their servants over the next couple of years. And to this day, there are two theories on how she spread the disease. The first is how she handled the ladle from a common drinking water source, spreading the bacteria. And the second route, possibly, was via food she prepared. The typhoid bacterium, by the way, usually isn't transmitted via food, since heat, apparently, kills off the bacteria. However, one of Mary's special desserts, a sort of peach melba with raspberries, didn't get cooked. So, according to some, that was probably the way she spread the disease. In these pandemic times, it might be useful to remember the story of Mary Mallon, an innocent carrier of the bacteria who unknowingly spread sickness and suffering in Maine because she was here on vacation, or rather, her employers were here on vacation. Coming up, Steve Hewins of Hospitality, Maine, on the group's request of the governor to lift the 14-day quarantine for out-of-state guests. Here's a tip from the Travel Bug Treatment Center. Studies prove that an annual vacation can cut the risk of heart attack by 50%. So you've got to get away. It's doctor's orders. Plan your next getaway at discoveramerica.com. Every year, 15% of the people who travel abroad never come back. Most of them are killed by something as innocent looking as this tree frog. Why risk it? Travel. We've got a channel for that. Joining us now is Steve Hewins of Hospitality Maine, a nonprofit trade group representing Maine's hospitality industry. Today, Hospitality Maine published an open letter to Governor Janet Mills asking for the 14-day visitor quarantine to be lifted so out-of-state tourists can visit Maine this summer. Steve, who decided to write the letter and why? You know, I've been dealing with this, obviously, since the announcement of the uh, pandemic, I guess, early in March. You know, myself and colleagues, uh, the letter was actually written with a group that's called the Tourism Alliance. We're part of it, along with the Maine Tourism Association, the Campground, Ski Maine, Retail Association of Maine. Um, and we're all basically hearing the same thing. You know, we, this is um, the quarantine has the, the ability to devastate the state. And you know, we're hearing from constantly now from restaurants and now hotels that are just uh, really, we got to talk them right off the edge. I mean, it's it's that desperate. So I think we're at a point in time really where the public health uh, meets the economic health of the state. And, you know, we need to have some decisions so we can uh, move forward safely. That's where we're at. So why should we trust the hospitality industry's instincts over the epidemiologists and the state CDC officials? I think the thing is that, you know, we've been working with the state directly. I have been in the hospitality Maine 
since we submitted a reopening plan back on April 22nd, which um, the protocols and the procedures that we uh, proposed, um, you know, mainly were sourced from, um, you know, national organizations, you know, highly researched kind of studies and that sort of thing, but also uh, from information from how other states were approaching this. So it wasn't like invented here in Maine. I mean, there is a a certain sort of standardized protocol going across the U.S. in terms of everything that we now know about the virus and how to, you know, protect people, um, and especially, uh, you know, not just the customers, but also our employees, probably first and foremost. So, um, you know, like I said, in Maine, it's more acute because our tourism season is so tied up into the economic health of the industry. Um, So some businesses can afford to come back slower or at a different time, whereas our industry is so, you know, seasonally dramatically impacted that and it's so much full of small businesses too that uh, the urgency to, to make that call is now and, you know, I think the protocols that are being considered are, uh, you know, protecting people. What are those protocols yeah. and plans to protect workers, uh, whether it be a check-in clerk or Cleaners, yeah. uh, workers need to be protected, and there's a shortage of PPEs already. How does the industry intend to deal with purchasing safety equipment and other cleaning supplies? It's a serious issue. You're 100% right on that. You know, as you know, or as the listeners may or may not know, is the restaurants opened up. Uh, uh, they, they approved the plan last week, Friday, for restaurants, which, uh, you know, obviously have very similar um requirements and issues. We're all customer-facing businesses. So uh, they're underway um, with an opening coming up uh, in 12 counties in Maine uh, next Monday, the 18th. And then June 1 will be the rest of the state opening up for restaurants. So um, a lot of the uh, same requirements for hotels are there as well with regard to face covering. And, you know, then there's, you know, a ton of different protocols in terms of how you can operate a restaurant or a hotel in terms of reservations and Hump the capacity, you know. Um, you know, in the case of restaurants, the tables are six feet apart uh, initially to try to separate people should they be infected. Um, and and then with hotels, the capacity controls might be there as well and include, you know, maybe only be able to book up to half the rooms at any given time. But the whole thing is phased in, you know, over time. So it's not. These are the initial restarting you know, uh, procedures and protocols. And as time goes on and the virus recedes, you know, they'll be able to open up more, um, and including things like events and stuff like that. Those are in phase four. And, you know, we aren't going to see anything to do with weddings or events like that or, or con- concerts or festivals, you know, until the fall at the earliest. How would you see that these promises, I noticed on the open letter to the governor that there are these promises and uh, yeah. plans of responsibility, how can just the normal everyday Mainer trust that the industry yeah. is going to do this correctly? Um, it's a legitimate concern, absolutely. I would say that, you know, from the industry itself, you know, when you talk about restaurants and hotels, you're really talking about people that are small businesses that work in these businesses, that run these businesses, that own them. You know, sometimes you think of the big national chains like, you know, Hyatt and Hilton and those kind of things. and Um, But, you know, in the end, they're all main people working in these places. And we know as an industry that, you know, people have to believe honestly and trust that a restaurant they're going to or a hotel they're going to stay in is safe. And this is not something you can 
sort of walk through halfway because the moment somebody were to ever get sick at your restaurant or at your hotel, you're done. And so I think people know that dramatic the impact of that. So the, they're going to make every effort to precisely follow the guidelines that are coming out of the state. Because that's what they are. It's just the checklist that was released on restaurants is an actual guide to reopening that, you know, there are mandated pieces to this that everybody needs to do. And our job, really, a hospitality name, because we're, we're a trade group, I mean, our focus is on education and support the, um, you know, those, those guidelines. We've got a whole armada of things ready to roll to make sure people do what they need to do to keep everybody safe. Because there's no way, you know, government can manage that. I mean, they don't, you know, they don't even have the staff available to do, the, you know, to uh, oversee a site this. So they have to rely on the support of, of uh, the businesses out there. And, you know, we're, the people that I deal with, the members that we have are pretty, you know, are more than pretty serious. They're dead serious about making sure that they follow those guidelines and protect everybody. Well, I just want to mention that last year I, I spent a night in a very nice and expensive hotel in Bath, pre-pandemic, and I found a syringe on the bathroom floor, okay? And this was in a nice hotel. So, again, it's kind of hard for me to trust an industry to self-police, especially since you say that, you know, the government isn't going to be able to come in here. Yeah. The government was managing that hotel as well when you stayed there, you know, in terms of a, uh, you know, inspections required. I mean, a licensed property has a whole bunch of things that they, they need to do. But then again, as I say, you know, it's not something that can be oversighted by government or by, you know, any single entity. It really has to be, um, you know, that place that to, for that to happen is who knows. But I mean, you know, they, I think the thing about it is that the protocols that are going to be required now are way beyond what is currently uh, applicable to restaurants or hotels. I mean, you know, typical things with the hotels that we proposed back in uh, almost a month ago now involve, um, you know, keeping rooms empty 24 hours and, and do enhanced cleaning. So that includes any number of things like washing the the uh, covers on top of the bed, you know, the covers, the colorful bed covers, but those don't get washed all the time. Sheets definitely do, and stuff that touches your body that way, but the protocols do that. They call disinfecting, you know, the room and leaving it empty for 24 hours so any potential virus is, is dead. So, um, you know, that's how you reduce capacity and allow, you know, uh, places to uh, manage themselves in the sense that regard. So, what about for the workers, though, that have to go in there and do that cleaning? Uh, they're putting themselves at risk. Are you encouraging yeah. uh, maybe an increase in pay scales for the cleaners who are now suddenly oh, front line? Sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, we're going to – the industry is going to have a hard time getting their employees to come back. So that's not lost on people. You know, uh, paying people more money, uh, giving them better tools and better um, equipment to, to do that work. Uh, better training to understand what they face and what they don't face. I mean, that's all part of the plan. You, you know, you just can't say to somebody who's been a housekeeper for, you know, 20 years doing this way to just, okay, you're back at it, start tomorrow. They're not going to even begin until they are properly equipped and properly trained um, and probably paid more money because, you know, their job is more valuable than it might have been previously. Well, I'd like to see so, that increase in wages for cleaners. What about the foreign workers? that the industry has traditionally been dependent upon. I'm hearing from people down on the shore and down east 
that uh, there's going to be a shortage of workers. Yes, definitely. And those people aren't coming back this year. Uh, the foreign temporary workers are currently restricted from coming. So we, we won't even, you're right about that. I mean, this industry in Maine is, you know, up to 10% of the workforce are foreign temporary workers from, you know, places all around the globe, really. But uh, doing jobs that aren't just, there aren't enough humans in Maine to, to perform. So, you know, we have now that on top of this. So, you know, supply and demand and how that might work as far as even labor costs are part of it, too. Um, so I, I uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, we've been, the funny thing about this whole situation is that two months, well, not two months ago, through the first two months of this year, we were on pace for the 14th straight record year for restaurant and hotel sales in Maine. 14 straight years beginning in 2009, I mean, I'm sorry, 2009, yeah, this was in the 14th year, and then it crashed. And we, the likelihood of us getting back to that level anytime soon is almost nil. And we're going to go a long time before this industry recovers from this. Have your um, uh, members been applying for or receiving the federal bailout funds? Yes, many have. Um, you know, we've been working hard at trying to make some adjustments to that for our members and for the industry because um, with the delayed openings of, uh, you know, when, you know, with regard to, uh, you know, not being allowed to reopen or reopening more slowly, um, you know, the eight-week period that initially people were supposed to use the money, uh, for many people, they won't even be open when those eight weeks are done. So we're trying to uh, work with the government, uh, senators, to try to get an extension on that so people can, you know, ride this thing out uh, longer because they're going to need to. As you may know that one of the early super spreaders of COVID-19 in Maine was a out-of-state traveling salesperson. What if COVID-19 reappears and there's a second wave of COVID-19 because of tourists coming to Maine and not quarantining? Would you feel bad for pushing this? You know, I mean, life goes on at some point, right? I mean, I think nothing's going to be fixed until we have a vaccine or some ultimate cure for this. Uh, you know, I mean, any number of things can happen. People are streaming into the state now with, without quarantining. I mean, you know, we can say you've got to come to Maine and take a 14-day quarantine, or we can say you can be tested in, in, in sort of affidavit that you've been proven, you know, safe and that sort of thing. And we can touch a uh, urinal in uh, New, Jer New Jersey or Massachusetts and become sick and carry that here. You know, any absolute aspect is virtually impossible. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a very sad and unfortunate fact that we are dealing with something that we barely understand. And, uh, you know, so it's, I don't feel bad. Or, I feel bad about you know, calls that I receive every day, people that are desperate, that are just absolutely going to lose it all. You know, people that have built a little family motel for like, you know, 30 years and now have nothing and, uh, and are ready to close. And, you know, I mean, we can be callous about that and say, hey, you know, so what? It's about public health. But, you know, if you sit in my seat and hear this day in and day out, for 12 hours a day, so two and a half months, trust me, it's not an easy you know, uh, conversation to have with these folks. What's Hospitality Maine's position on places like Sunday River Brewing opening early despite the state of emergency shutdown orders? Right. Well, 
I mean, we're not a fan of that. I mean, you know, but, but everybody does what they do. And, you know, we're also not, a, uh, you know, out there pontificating how people need to act, whatever beliefs they have and whichever they're motivated around. What our goal is really is to, you know, educate the uh, industry as much as we can on how to do this stuff safely. I mean, I would say that to Rick Savage, you know, if he wants to open up some of your pub, I would say, yes, you definitely should. And you should do these things at the same time. And, you know, that's, I'm, I'm totally in favor of that. But I mean, I think that we have to, you know, he can say that we've got good, you know, uh, safety protocols in place. And we might, as you asked me earlier, you might believe him or you might not. But if at least if he's operating on a standard that everybody's operating around, then we have more confidence that, you know, they're doing the right thing. Yeah, I think a lot of people were um, not impressed because of the lack of physical distancing, even in the waiting line uh, to get yeah, in. Right. It was kind of um, an affront to all the rules that everybody else uh, exactly. is obeying right now. Um, I, yeah, I know we talked totally. about the small family businesses, uh, but what do you say to the criticism about uh, you know, opening the state back up to benefit these large out-of-state corporations and possibly placing our health at risk? Well, it's sort of what I said earlier. I mean, large out-of-state corporations are really brands. You know, they're not really, you know, the, the corporation itself. Many of these, you know, that you see the brand, of, let's say hotels for just a second, you know, like uh, like I said earlier, you know, the Hilton Garden Inns and the Quality Inns and the Hyatt's and the Sharon's or whatever you want to call them. And they're all branded global brands and they're all owned generally by people. And in many cases in Maine, they tend to be franchised and owned by Maine people, you know, and employing Maine people. So, you know, the money doesn't like sort of like, you know, sort of magically transmit to some corporate headquarters somewhere. It's really all sort of embedded in the, you know, what that rest, what that hotel, who they employ and all the businesses and companies that, you know, sort of supply them or support them. They're all local main businesses. I mean, that's the one thing about hospitality in Maine. It isn't just restaurants and hotels. It is everything connected to restaurants and hotels. So when you start seeing no visitors here, then small farmers get impacted and lobstermen have to sell their catch on the dock because they got no one buying them because there's no hotels and restaurants operating and selling them. So, you know, just those examples, it's so embedded in Maine. It's, it's really kind of, Maine's got more, um, Maine's more at risk in this, in this crisis than almost any other state. I think I've seen statistics on that. And it's primarily because of its uh, predominance of the hospitality industry. So it's, it's not like, you know, it's sort of states that don't have that same, uh, you know, embedded part of the economy around this industry. Have you heard from the governor's office since you asked her to lift the quarantine? Um, those conversations are ongoing. So I, I, you know, I've met with the governor twice, um, you know, uh, via Zoom. Um, and, uh, and I'm in daily contact with the Department of Economic and Community Development. And they're pretty much leading the, the effort, you know, in terms of connecting with businesses. Um, so... Yeah, it's ongoing. I mean, I think, uh, you know, we obviously uh, put a letter out because, you know, we're the urgency of, of, of making a decision is, is right in front of us now. So um, I think we're going to see something very soon on this. Um, I don't know what that's going to actually look like, but, um, you know, it's gotten to the point, I think, the, uh, 
the impact is clear for all in terms of the, you know, what's going to happen. You know, once people start coming off unemployment and not having jobs again, and the long-term impact on the state is uh, is starting to come into focus, I think, for a lot of people. So we'll see. I mean, I would like to not do what I'm doing for work forever. Um, you know, I like the job. I don't like the current what I what we're trying to accomplish here. But you know, that's the role we're in. We're like right at the nexus of the public, government, health, and then you know, trying to find that path when there is no path is not simple. Is there another plan you're working on, like another backup plan, if Governor Mills doesn't agree to lift the quarantine? <laughs> oh God, crash! That's a decent question. Uh, is there a plan B, in other words? Yeah. Um, not really. I mean, you know, picking up the pieces is going to be really not a good thing. Uh, you know, I think we're going to we're going to lose we're going to lose up to thirty percent of restaurants in Maine, anyhow. Um, the question is, you know, how deep does that then go, and what happens to the communities that are not Portland but are uh, out there with very uh, limited, um, you know, hospitality industry and that sort of thing. So I think, uh, no, that, that's the reason for having an open letter like this. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's the urgency. It's not really as directed to the governor as much as it is trying to alert the public, I think, of the, um, the nature of this. And, and just, um, you know, we didn't, I mean, we're not, that letter was not uh, accusatory to anybody. It was not, you know, critical of, of Governor Mills. It was pointing out that we need your help, basically. At this point, that's where... I think that's where the industry is at. Well, that was refreshing that it didn't turn into like a political diatribe against uh, Governor Mills because you know, yeah. he didn't cause the virus. What I've seen uh, throughout the pandemic, if I can look for a shining light in all this, is how Mainers, who are adaptable people to begin with, have adapted in various ways. Now, granted, we have the terrible news of many businesses closing, people struggling, but at the same time, people are adapting. And I noticed in the hospitality industry, at least, I noticed a couple places this past weekend offering deals to Mainers geared towards uh, encouraging the, the quote, <laughs> staycation with uh, <laughs> yeah. pay what you can for Mainers uh, deals. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Th this is an opportunity for Mainers to demonstrate to their friends and relatives in the hospitality industry that we want to support them. Is there anything that your yeah. trade group can do to encourage that sort of activity? Yeah, well, that's a great point. Yes. Um, I, we've seen, I mean, the support of restaurants has been phenomenal. I mean, some of these restaurants have never done takeout or curbside or any of that stuff, and they just have adapted. And you notice what they, if you, anybody's, you know, gone out to do takeout, some of these restaurants that have not done this, they're you know, producing family meals at reasonable prices. I mean, it's, it's, it's really trying to, you know, sort of do what they can for business at the same time, you know, support people that are stuck at home and all that. And with hotels, that's the next thing up, because the the uh, phases, the ordinance that I mean, excuse me, sorry, but the governor's executive order came out and said that June one, um, hotels will be available for Maine residents only. And uh, we've been working very closely with the Maine Office of Tourism to try to push out instead of spending the money in Philadelphia and, and Chicago, is invited to come here, redirect those funds to an in-state campaign. Um, I thought you chuckled when you said staycation because I really detest that term myself. But but it is it is more to your point about support Maine's ho 
hotels and they'll support you. And I expect we're going to see some phenomenal rates and deals around that because any revenue is good revenue for them. But also, I think they really want to encourage people to, to um, you know, have confidence in the fact that they're doing the right thing. And so I think we're going to see an, a real industry effort to, to draw people out and, you know, have people in Portland go up to Presque Isle and things like that, see part of the state that they don't barely know exists and vice versa. Gosh, Betty, I wish we could stay longer. Me too. You ought to plan ahead. Hmm. I think we should plan ahead next time. Me too. Come in the off-season. I don't want to wait till next summer. Stay longer for the same money. You suppose the rates are better in the off-season? I bet they are. I think we should come back in the off-season. Me too. Me too. Be more of America. A little planning means a longer stay. Hey, pals. I'd like to thank you for listening to the first 10 episodes of Open Ears Maine. I've been very happy with the response and comments. I'm grateful to have had this opportunity in these strange times to listen to the stories of how COVID-19 has impacted Mainers across the spectrum. I launched this podcast a month ago in mid-April as my personal response to the pandemic and as a way to document people's experiences. However, pretty damn soon, I need to get back to work on the podcast project I was focused on before COVID-19 took over life as we know it. I'm not done with this podcast series yet, but I'm getting close. I still have another half dozen interviews to conduct to be published in the next three weeks before shutting off the open ears headphones and microphone in order to return to my non-virus-related work. So again, thanks for listening. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.